Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And the first story this week is Space News. This comes from Mashable. NASA gets ever closer to its encounter with a distant world one billion miles past Pluto. Wow. Uh, so you remember uh, New Horizons that got all those pictures of Pluto a while back? Mm-hmm. Um, so last week, NASA re- released photos of the space exploration craft New Horizons gradually approaching an ancient little-known object in deep space called Ultima Thule, which sounds like something out of a video game almost. It's like a final boss. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, Ultima Thule is this uh, deep space object. Uh, it orbits the sun one billion miles past Pluto, and NASA expects to get close to the far-off object soon after midnight on January 1st, 2019. So right after the new year oh, yeah. begins. Um, it will be humanity's farthest ever encounter with another world. Well, they're calling it a world. I guess it's yeah, what's the probably definition not of a planet. World? Yeah, versus a planet versus just an object. Yeah. It's hard to say. Okay. Um, they suspect that it's a type of icy mass. That was formed some 4.5 billion years ago during the inception of the solar system itself. Wow. Uh, But since then, uh, Ultima is presumed to have been largely preserved in its pristine primeval state. So they think it really hasn't changed since the formation of the solar system. Hmm. Uh, Alan Stern, the NASA planetary scientist who's leading the mission, says that, in effect, Ultima should be a valuable window into the early stages of planet formation and what the solar system was like over 4.5 billion years ago. Uh, So, yeah, they're planning on using it to kind of find out what was going on back then. Um, Mm -hmm. In, um, or on December 15th, uh, Stern's team concluded that there were no obstructions between New Horizons, um, which is a triangular spacecraft of, (laughs) that's only seven feet by nine feet, and um, there are no obstructions between it and Ultima Thule, so it's got a clear shot from here until the uh, until its final approach. Hmm. Um, in the summer of 2015, New Horizons flew 7,000 miles from Pluto's surface, but it will get much closer to Ultima Thule, swooping only 2,200 miles away from the little-known object. So it's going to get really close. And uh, the first images are expected expected back early on New Year's Day, about 30 minutes after the ball drops in Times Square. So Okay. We're expecting it pretty soon after. Yeah. So that'll be neat. Have to very soon have after. To, yeah, have to have to look it up uh, during New or right after New Year's. Once you switch from the countdown to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, the countdown's done. All right, let's switch. Uh, <laughs> let's look up the news about the. Uh, now we're gonna explore an alien world. world. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I'm still pondering what is the definition of a, a oh, world. Yeah, what makes something a world, especially when they say it's just an icy mass, like could just be a yeah. big ice cube floating in the sky with no real significant. I mean, I guess I, what I guess kind of ice? Something a world could mean just like a a unique setting, right? Right. Like people could describe like the desert as like a new world, right? That's, that's very true. So, and they probably did back before they had discovered like everything on Earth. Yeah. Or at least on the surface of the <laughs> earth. Still know about the oceans. The oceans are still scary. And, yeah. And, and They're a whole distant. new world. <laughs> They're a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a pretty fluid definition. So yeah, yeah. An, ast- an icy asteroid could be a world. All right. 
we've cracked the definition, I think. I just, I needed to talk through that. I just <laughs> needed that. Okay, thanks. Yes. <laughs> I'm happy we could have this discussion. <laughs> okay, well, my first story is crime news. And this is from CTV News. And the headline is, Man Arrested for Throwing a Christmas Ham. <laughs> Good. (laughs) London, Kentucky. Authorities say a Kentucky man has been arrested after he threw a ham at a woman during an argument over which day Christmas dinner should take place. (laughs) Wave TV reports that the man was arrested Sunday after he tried to flee from police officers who reported to a home on a domestic dispute call. Uh, The Laurel County Sheriff's Office said he threw items at the woman, including the ham, to be eaten for Christmas dinner. Why is that necessary to state? Okay. Deputies say several (laughs) items were found on the kitchen floor. Okay. The man's being held on charges of assault and fleeing or evading police. That's the end of the story. I just thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) When's Christmas dinner? Never. (laughs) I want to have Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve instead. No. (laughs) If I can't have it on Christmas Eve, nobody's having it. (laughs) If I can't eat this ham on Christmas, nobody can. <laughs> okay, this is, this is bad. A, and I also, what, I also don't want to... What a waste of ham. I know. Like, if this, you know, if this woman actually, like, got seriously hurt or something, I don't want to, like, make too much light out of it or anything. Yeah, but, I mean, like, hopefully just, she's just, fine. Just kind of, like, a ham. Like, I don't know. It's <laughs> goofy. Anyway. Okay, that was it. My next story is health news. This comes from BGR. The headline reads, you probably won't like where your state lands in 2018's ranking of the healthiest U.S. states. Oh, man. Guess what? They were right. Oh, Uh, no. But first, a little background. Uh, As 2018 comes to a close, we are treated to many uh, of the year-end polls and surveys and rankings that accompany this time of the year. Uh, We've already learned that overall life expectancy dropped this year, which is not great. Oh, no. Um, So that's one, one health stat we already know. But if you want to dive a bit deeper into the overall health picture for your state, you can do so with the United Health Foundation's 2018 America's Health Rankings. Uh, the annual study takes many different factors into, an, into account, weighing things like clinical care, health policy, and health outcomes in order to form a complete picture of the health of each state. Um, some of the factors, I was just looking through the study and seeing what they were looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them include prevalence of obesity, smoking, excessive drinking, and mental distress, uh, air quality, Um, the availability of mental health and primary care providers, immunization coverage, and the rates of various diseases like salmonella, diabetes, and pertussis. So just like a whole slew of factors that went into this. Okay. Um, So everybody probably just wants to know what the rankings were. Um, I'm not going to read all 50, obviously. (laughs) Oh, you're not? (laughs) The top five uh, from, from one to five are Hawaii, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont, and Utah. Those are the healthiest, right? Those are the five healthiest. Okay. Um, or rated the healthiest. Okay. Um, and the bottom five, um, starting at the bottom from 50 to 46, yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> are Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. So kind of all in the same sort of part of yeah. the country. Um, and I know you're wondering, Ohio was number 40. So, oh man, not great. Um, so you might have noticed a lot of southern states tend to fall towards the bottom of the chart, while the northeast tends to dominate the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and a full ranking and report is available in the article, which we'll link. 
Um, and it was, I was playing around with it a lot. It's really cool. There's like interactive charts, um, both for like a given state, like how it's done over time, but also for different factors and how they've changed over time. And okay. they give like detailed explanations of each one. So like, what is pertussis and what does it have to like, and what does it mean? And are there ways to treat it and that kind of thing? Yeah. And then there's summaries of each and every state and like their high points, low points. And that's really cool. Like ratings on every single factor. It's, it's really neat. I recommend just like playing around with it. Some it's fascinating. Yeah. That sounds fun. I, I love interactive charts too. Yeah. It's a, it's a, maybe that's a weird thing to say. It's but a little weird, but you know, if, I, if you, if you like interactive charts, person, this is know. the, this is the kind of thing to look at. <laughs> okay my next story is also health news and this is from npr the headline is how hits to the head are transferred to the brain it's an article about concussions or well head injuries in general right it was a question about soccer that got philip bailey interested in brain injuries Bailey, a mechanical engineer at Washington University in St. Louis, was approached by several doctors who wanted advice about some young soccer players they were treating. Does a header in soccer have a big effect or a small one? The doctors thought Bailey might have the answer, but he didn't at that time. So in the early 2000s, (laughs) Bailey brought soccer players into his lab to figure out precisely how much acceleration their heads experienced when they headed balls hurled at them by a machine. (laughs) The answer was 15 to 20 times the force of gravity, which actually is a relatively minor impact. Oh, because according to them, um, in football, when you have a hard collision with someone else, it's actually 50 to 100 G's versus like a normal like jumping up and down. It's four or five G's when you hit the ground like that's like an impact force. Yeah, that kind of puts it on the scale. So it's like, yeah, so it's a little high, but like on the scale of what it could be in sports, it's pretty low. It'll make sense because you're hitting your head with a uh, hitting a ball with your head instead of another person. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes they're going pretty fast, so I don't know. But, That's true. But it does make sense. I mean, like like two big football players hitting each other versus that. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, but Bailey realized these numbers didn't mean much unless he knew how much of the force was reaching a person's brain. So he spent the next decade trying to figure that out. Bailey's lab has become uh, expert at using MRI techniques to see how the brain changes shape when a person's head moves. The lab has been using a technique called magnetic resonance elastography, along with a device that vibrates the skull. The technique has allowed Bailey's team to get a detailed look at how forces applied to a person's head are transferred to the brain inside. And in 2017, the team published a study in the Journal of Biomechanical Engineering that challenged the way scientists had been thinking about head impacts. And he says, people have built mental models of what's going on inside your head. They think it's like a rubber ball bouncing around inside your skull or a ball floating in fluid. But the MRI images of a vibrating brain suggested a more sophisticated system. What we saw, surprisingly, was that the brain wasn't colliding and bouncing against the walls of the skull, but it was pulling away from points of attachment, Bailey says. These points of attachment are part of the membranes that act like a suspension system in a car, absorbing impacts and smoothing out bumps, Bailey says. Oh. Which is interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, But like any suspension system, it can fail. That can happen when an impact is simply too powerful for the system to absorb, and it is more likely with certain types of impacts. Scientists can't replicate the dangerous types of impacts in the lab, though, because it wouldn't be safe for human participants in a study. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Which is, yeah. Even so, the research Bailey is doing is helping doctors understand why certain impacts are especially dangerous to the brain. Bailey thinks he's a lot closer to answering the question that got him into this research about head injury 
um, the one about heading a soccer ball, the research so far suggests that the brain suspension system probably works pretty well to dampen a relatively mild impact like that, Bailey says. So from the stuff he's done so far, he thinks it's like not a huge impact. It's a pretty small impact on potential like brain injury. Um, What's still not clear is whether this is enough to uh, prevent long-term damage in players who head the ball hundreds or even thousands of times in games and practice. So if you're doing it all the time repeatedly, then like yeah. what is what is that impact? We don't know. So that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I guess I kind of had that idea in my. Well, it's weird. Is in my brain, even though my brain knows that it's not floating around. Oh, in my, some, but my brain Inception. doesn't know it because I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, weird. yeah. But no, it, I know you know what, what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I kind of had that kind of mental model as well. But I, it sounds like it's more. It's almost like it's suspended in a spider web sort mm-hmm. of deal and it's and how much that stretches is yeah it depends like, on how hard you get hit when you are injured it actually like detaches from like the webbing or whatever you know Ugh. i'm calling it webbing now but right <laughs> that's all i can think of it though it's like i'm just picturing like yeah. spider web almost mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm sure that's not completely accurate but it like, kind of makes sense like the way it's described that way i mean versus just it being like just in floating in fluid or something, right. which right, like that's what I th- kind of thought before too. But I know it makes sense this way. I don't know. That's cool. That is really that's really <laughs> fascinating though. Okay, the last story that I brought is another space news, and it's also from BGR. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> this headline is: An asteroid shaped like a giant hippopotamus just flew by Earth. <laughs> That's fun. We've had a couple of fun-shaped asteroids that we've talked about. Yeah. I think we've had a diamond and a, a diamond. skull. Yes, right? yeah, there was a so skull. So we've had, we've had a few. Um, but this one was shaped kind of like a hippo. Uh, so this is a rare appearance that won't happen again for over 400 years. Uh, this bizarre-shaped asteroid made a relatively close flyby of our planet just in time for the holidays. Um, the rock is known as 2003 SD-220. So, like, not as fun of a name as Ultima Thule, but, you know, (laughs) we can't name every rock something fun. Um, It's estimated to be about one mile in length, and it looks vaguely like the top half of an oversized swimming hippopotamus. And I will show you a picture, of course. I want to see Um, a picture. uh, It's pretty... I can see why why they think it. It's not, like, a perfect hippo. That would be incredibly strange. Um, it flew by on December 22nd at a distance of about 1.8 million miles. So still pretty far away, but mm-hmm. that's the closest it got. Um, to get the best look at the asteroid as it approached its closest point to Earth, NASA used a system by which a radar signal is sent from one location and received by another once it bounces back off the asteroid. And they were able to use this to yield considerably more detail than they would be able to get from a single telescope. So you'll be able to see the images actually have quite a bit of detail for something that was almost 2 million miles away. Um, and the most conspicuous surface feature is a prominent ridge that appears to wrap partway around the asteroid near one end. The ridge extends about 330 feet above the surrounding terrain, and that's kind of what formed the ear-looking part of the hippo. Oh, okay. Which you will see in one second as I <laughs> pull up the image, and here it comes, and there it is. <laughs> Okay, I see what I see what they saw. This is why that. I said vaguely shaped. It's but like a hippo that's swimming, and you can only see the water. top of it. Yes. Yeah. So just like the top portion. Nice. But it, it definitely has like the same. 
It's got like the yeah. head and the ear and then like the bigger back part. And yeah, like the curvature of it matches a hippo. It's yeah, it's a pretty pretty spot on match for that. Yeah, <laughs> once it that's turns, really fun. Once it turns a little bit, it looks less like a hippopotamus. Though. <laughs> the one angle though looks re- like this. That looks a lot like a that looks I- yeah, that looks identical. But yeah, you can take a look for yourself and see what you think when we when we share the article with you. I wonder what other interesting shaped asteroids will come our way in 2019. <laughs> Who knows what'll come our way? We'll I'm sure wait there's, and see. I'm sure there's a ton out there though. Mm-hmm. It's a big, uh, big world universe. Is the world also? Is that know. a world? Is the universe a world? I don't know if the universe is a world. Well, what about that when they say like big. alternate universes? Sometimes they call them as other worlds. Or they You're right. World, so it's a hard <laughs> word to define. Or it defines so many. Th- or it defines so many things that it's ultimately meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> or that I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, well, my last story is food news. And this is also from NPR. And the headline is, Four Ways That Wild Edibles, Including Insects, Will Wow You. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm ready, ready to be wowed. Ready? Except the article doesn't actually list anything. It's just... What? It doesn't... Li- there's no list. It just four things. It just talks but it is about them. still four things, though. So actually, there's a video that is at the end of the article that shows four recipes that use insects in the recipes. Okay. Man, it's a misleading a, headline. It's a very misleading headline. I'm sorry. I'm just being upfront. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. I do not appreciate their dishonesty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically the article is about this guy who knows how to cook with insects. So I will now read this to you. All right. The first insect that Pascal Baudard ever tried eating was an ant he found in his kitchen. The verdict? <laughs> it tasted like some kind of chemical, says Baudard. Great. Sure. Why are you telling us about okay. this? Okay. Most people would have probably given up on the bug eating experiments right there. But Bodar, he's made it part of his life's calling. Oh boy, right. I'm a little worried about this guy. Bodar is a self-proclaimed culinary alchemist. He creates visually stunning, palate-pleasing recipes using innovative cooking processes and foraged ingredients, which frequently include insects. When gathering in the wild, he focuses on non-native and invasive plants as well as insects, so that his harvesting actually gives Mother Nature a hand, the ecological repercussions, he says, should always be on your mind when foraging. And insects are a highly sustainable source of protein. The United Nations has even urged the world to eat more of them. That's one reason why Bodar continues to explore insects' culinary potential, even when it comes to ants, whose flavor nuances he has come to know in depth since that first kitchen experiment. (laughs) What? Are you weirded out yet? I've been (laughs) weirded out from the whole ant thing. (laughs) Uh, This is a quote from him. All ants are really edible. Some just don't taste good. (laughs) You can say that about most things. (laughs) Most things you can eat and like they might not taste good, but they won't hurt you. Or at least not kill you. I don't think ants will like hurt you if you eat them, though. Maybe some types might. Some might. Might be some venomous ones. I don't know. When gathering ants outdoors, Bodar looks for ones with white bottoms because he says those are the ones that taste like lemon. What? He usually collects these ants into a plastic bag, then puts that in the freezer so the ants go to sleep. (laughs) Thanks for that extra tidbit. Um, The ants add hints of lemon to his homemade preserves, syrups, vinegars, and fermented foods. 
which he shares with no one and eats only by himself. <laughs> Badar has written two books on wild edibles, and he recently made a demonstration video for NPR, which you can watch on their website if you're interested in seeing how to make a bunch of fancy-looking dishes with crickets, ants, and mealworms mixed into them. And there's four dishes that he makes in the video, and that's why the article says four ways. Okay. But this will wow you. So I watched the video. Uh-huh. Were you and wowed? And he makes... Uh, <laughs> I will say that I was impressed at his ability to make the plates look like his presentation is really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Does he leave, does he leave the bugs intact or is he like mashing them up Mm, or anything? No, they're intact. So you can still see it's a bug. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would be, that would be kind of off putting to me. I guess. So he, he made, okay. So one of the recipes is like a salad with this like vegetable based cheese that he made, which I wasn't actually sure how he made that. He didn't really explain that part, but yeah, vegetable based cheese sounds like a lie. <laughs> I don't know how he made it, but go on. <laughs> and then, um, he sprinkled like worms on top of it. And that was the, the that dish. That's a dish. Yeah. Cheese and it was like a fancy, with like fancy lettuce. Okay. That he picked himself so not, or something. Not I don't know. Romaine. It wasn't romaine. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I'm not, I'm not the yet. other uh, another one of the dishes, which to be honest, I was kind of confused by why this concept was applied to it, but he called it burning trees, which I was like, what? And it was like a cheese plate. Like he put, he took like cheese cubes, like regular cheese, and okay. then put like sticks in them so it looked like a forest. Mm-hmm. And then and then actually this one it was ground up. Then he had like ground up. I don't even know what was, I don't remember what was in there, like bugs and something and like sprinkled it all over. And he's like, see, it looks like ashes. It's like burning trees. And that was one of the dishes. <laughs> see, everything you say about this guy just makes me more and more concerned. <laughs> um, I don't know about any of this. They also mentioned that he has cooked for Michelin star restaurants in California too. Like he's been invited to make like special dishes for really high end places. So, Apparently, he's really well-respected. Okay. But I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like anything that it showed may, me. So. May, maybe not by me. <laughs> I was just... Because I think I've had... Um, I went to this event at the Natural History Museum, and they had they were giving out samples of these chips that had been made with flour that was made from, like, ground-up crickets. Oh, yeah. I've heard of cricket flour. And they were really good. I was like, and I don't mind that because I can't see that it was a cricket. Right. It's just a flower, and it tasted it tasted less like a regular chip. Like I'm all for that, but I don't yeah. want to see like a worm on top of my food. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually a sign I that I shouldn't I be either. eating it's that. Like, it makes you have this reaction of like, oh, this food is tainted. Like you know, yeah. And he was using it as like a garnish. Like I don't want that. That just I don't know. I don't. I, I, I don't, feel the same way. So yeah, I don't mind the idea of like introducing bugs into the diet more. I but like yeah you can't you you can't present it to me as a bug (laughs) sorry it's not appealing it's not appealing (laughs) no but I'm totally on the same page like I've heard of cricket flour like cricket protein and having that as like an additive and like protein bars and different things like that and like that makes sense that's fine and like you said it's incredibly sustainable yeah like you can (laughs) plenty of crickets (laughs) I don't remember if we we might have talked about this in a story before I feel like we did like um about how the like cricket protein industry is starting to pick up and there's more more there's more and more products being made with that as a in, main ingredient. Huh. Man, have we been doing this long enough that I, I either, can't remember every story? I either read that <laughs> and then didn't use it on the show or I use it on the show and vaguely remember it and you don't remember it. It's, it's one of those two. Yeah. 
<laughs> it sure so. sounds like something we talked about. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Okay, it's time for breaking news. What? Breaking news. It's the part of the show where Anthony and I look up new stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Sounds good. Ready, set, set go. go. story i found alleged burglar breaks into house to watch tv convinces homeowner homeowner to give him a ride (laughs) (laughs) like after the burglar after the burglary so this (laughs) this is great this happened on sunday um okay says police in york county which is in maine um said the man opened the door uh, the owner of the home opened his door to find the intruder watching television wearing some of his clothes <laughs> the man also helped himself to some of the food in the house and took a shower uh the alleged burglar uh, had somehow convinced the homeowner that he had mistaken the house for his friends which even if you did why would you be doing any of those things um yeah and then he reportedly asked the homeowner to drive him to a different house in the area <laughs> The resident thought the scenario was unusual but plausible, so he agreed to drive the man to a house in Hollis, said uh, York County Sheriff Bill King. Uh, he said he wanted to get the man out of his house, and he thought the uh, the ride home was the best way to get him out of there. <laughs> so he just okay, agreed to I take guess, um, but... but when the homeowner got back home, he noticed that his back door had been forced open and that there were various items missing, which, like, yes, obviously. <laughs> uh <laughs> He found the back door was forced open, food was missing from his fridge, and other signs of the house had, that the house had been uh, ransacked. Uh, allegedly, the uh, burglar stole a vehicle in Portland, Maine, and ran out of gas in this area, so he just, like, oh. broke into the person's home. <laughs> he was reportedly still wearing clothes that belonged to the homeowner <laughs> when he was uh, arrested. <laughs> This is, I, wow, I don't know why this wild. makes me laugh so much, but the charges that he's, that he's being uh, accused of, uh, burglary, two, uh, two counts of unauthorized use of property, which I didn't realize was a thing, hmm. leaving the scene of a property damage accident and theft by unauthorized taking. What? <laughs> which isn't that just theft? theft? <laughs> <laughs> what other kind of theft is there? I'm, I am desperate to know now. Theft by unauthorized taking. It's like, yeah. Um, (laughs) what? I keep finding out all these weird charges that you can get, and I'm just like, how does our legal system work? I just don't know. This is in addition to a charge of burglary. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, is is burglary like breaking and entering? Is is that just the breaking and entering part? Because I, I thought that was also, I don't know. Like I kind of thought it encompassed, like, breaking and entering and stealing all in one. I, I don't know why I thought that, but... that's I, I guess I just don't know the legal definition of any of these things. Theft by unauthorized, unauthorized taking. taking. <laughs> also, what is unauthorized use of someone else's property? I Wasn't guess, that like, watching TV in this guy's house and, like, showering there. It just... I guess like that they can't say that that's theft, so they have another charge for that I or guess. something? But wouldn't it also... Why Would isn't that it not just, just be trespassing or trespassing? Yeah, like I I didn't realize there was or just like breaking and entering. I don't know. It just it just seems weird. like it would all fall under one umbrella, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. 
I'm confused. But yeah, theft by unauthorized taking is going to be my next uh, trivia team name. <laughs> <laughs> and no one will get it. I have to look that up later. <laughs> if I'm there, I'll get it. There'll be two people. All right. <laughs> Okay, the story I found is um, about Snapchat. They have added filters for dogs. <laughs> remember when they added filters for cats? They did. Yeah, I do remember that. So now dogs are included Dogs as well. are now included. So now you can make yourself look like a dog, or you can make a dog look like a person. <laughs> um, Very good. Official lenses created specifically for dogs' faces have arrived on Snapchat meaning that people can take photos or videos of their pet and turn their faces into something goofy. Although the additional lenses for dogs are adorable, it's not Snapchat's first foray into the pet market. The company first launched special lenses for cats last month, as we know. Uh, There are currently only a handful of filters available, which can be seen in the promotional video. I got this from The Verge, that they'll put a link there. And more lenses are currently in development, meaning there will be new ways to annoy your pet for social clout in the near future. (laughs) I never did try the cat ones with my cat. You didn't? No. Because I think when we reported on it last, they weren't available yet or something. Oh, okay. But they were coming. I don't remember anymore. I imagine they're they're available by now. So I wonder why the the, the delay to have them for dogs. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Because there's there's probably more... Dog face shapes than cats, wouldn't there be? That's true, yeah. Like some of them it's have the short variable. faces, some of them have the long ones. Well, I know I'm planning on trying this out today with my dog. <laughs> have you found any of, like, I'm looking at Snapchat right now. Okay, wait, let me look. This gave you a mustache, but that's not. Oh, look, this one. It says try on a dog or a cat. It has a little paw print in the circle. Look. Oh. Do you see it? Yeah. I'm using it on myself. It doesn't look great. Yeah, it looks pretty weird on myself, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, gonna to try that on my cat as soon as I get home. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, or whatever other podcast app you want to use. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at at knickknacknews. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year.